Good morning again. Last week we uh, ended on a comma, actually, in verse 25 of Galatians chapter 3. But now that faith has come, this era in which God is making right with Him all those who believe in Jesus Christ to save them, we are no longer under a guardian, comma. Paul had revealed that the purpose of the law covenant with Israel was to increase their sinfulness so that they would see and understand how desperate they were for a Savior whom God was going to send to them in the person of Abraham's promised offspring, the seed, the son, Jesus Christ. God gave that 430 years after He had made the promise to Abraham that He would send Jesus to guard humanity from ever thinking that they could become righteous enough to take hold of the promise of blessing made to Abraham by doing good works, by the law, obeying the law. And now that faith has come, again, this new era ushered in by Jesus where God completely forgives all the sins of the people that believe in Jesus and gives them all of His righteousness as a gift, There is no longer any need for those that want to be a part of God's people to have a guardian anymore. Such is the quality and perfection and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. All along, God's design was to justify people, to make them right with Himself by faith in Christ, the offspring of Abraham to whom God had made all those promises in the first place. God's promise saves and makes those who believe in Christ His own, not our good works, not our ethnic identity. So the goal of God's promises was and is to completely save all those who simply believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect of that goal, another reality in all that, that Paul reveals in our text. The goal of God's promises is to show the people He is saving how much He loves them. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, and we'll make our way down to verse 7 of chapter 4. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You, God, so much for Your promise to completely save and make perfectly righteous all who come to You by grace through faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us this morning understand the content and the implications of this passage for your glory and for our hope and our joy. Lord, may we take refuge in you, in who you are for us, in Christ Jesus, your Son, by your Spirit. Please overshadow me, God. Please overshadow me that I might preach your word and nothing else. Please enable everyone to hear and believe. And I ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let me back up just one sentence there to verse. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, we are not sons of God because our obedience keeps us in the family. 
We are no longer under a guardian. That's not how you stay in the family of God. Since Christ has come to save those who are undone because they cannot keep the law, those that know they cannot meet God's standards, then all who have faith in Him are safe. In fact, in Christ, we are all bona fide sons of God through faith. By the way, Paul does not say sons and daughters because he's opposed to women in some sense. He uses sons because in this context, it's the son who received the inheritance rights, usually the firstborn. So in this sense, in Christ, all who believe, male or female, are sons of God. The inheritance comes to us, not because we've done anything, not because we are anything other than in Christ. That's why it comes to us, the inheritance, because we are in the one to whom all the promises were made. Christ. That's what the next verse addresses. Look again at 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So Paul describes this being in Christ as being baptized into Christ. The Greek is baptizo. The word means to dip or immerse or submerge, right? For as many of you as were submerged into Christ have in effect put on Christ. Christian, this is where our identity comes from. This is how God now sees us. Remember 2.20. This is an integral theme of the letter. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Being in Christ, having put on Christ, is not just a cool way to think about being a Christian. It is being a Christian. This is Christianity. To believe in Jesus as our Savior is to shed our connection to Adam and this world in order to wear Jesus forever. I am hidden in the Son. God the Father now relates to me only through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are and will ever remain safe, beloved. He is now our identity. God sees us in the one to whom he made all the promises. We are sons of God because we are united with the son of God, the son of Abraham or the seed of Abraham. All the other identifying characteristics about us that we got from Adam and the old creation have been overridden. We have put on Christ. We are now under Him, literally, so to speak, rather than under the law, under a guardian. We are now immersed in and therefore covered by, defined by Christ. We put off Adam. We put on Jesus. That's pictured when we are literally baptized in water. Paul is continuing to make his case that actual sonship, Actually being a part of God's people is not an ethnic, but a spiritual reality. Which is odd because being a son, by definition, is hereditary. That's what it means to be a son. You came from somebody naturally, physically. I am my father's son. I'm Gary Romano's son because I came from him. That's how it works in creation. That is not how it works in the new creation we find in Paul into which Jesus has transferred all who believe in Him. So, do we see how demeaning it would be, even unintentionally to Jesus, and what He accomplished, and the promises God made, to continue to believe that sonship with God is an ethnic issue? Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Not only then are all who believe sons, but all the individual members that make up the one body of Christ are all actually one together in Him. Whether one is a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, man or a woman, every member of the people of God is identified now by the Son. Remember, the one seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. God has one people, and they all reside in one place, Jesus Christ. Listen again As Paul expands on this, this is so important. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to pick up in verse 11 and read down through 3, 6 just one more time. 
He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In Christ, all four of those things have been addressed and ended. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. Again, one household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a one holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a one dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. That's why what Paul is saying is so mind-blowing. Nobody has said it until him. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. No wonder the Judaizers hated Paul. He's taking everything from them. Everything they've ever defined themselves by, everything they've ever put their hope in to be God's people. No wonder they hated him. No wonder they had to discredit him and get out in front of him wherever he was going or come right behind him and try to stir everything up and mess everything up. He's taking everything from them. No wonder Paul was so hard for men, even like Peter, to understand. It was so revolutionary what Paul was saying. It still is. What Paul says is not believed everywhere in the church. And again, because it matters so much for our individual faith, according to Galatians 3, 1-6, that we understand to whom God has made His promises and how we might partake of them, that we know we are not second-class citizens or parenthetical citizens, in the kingdom of God. What a demeaning thing to say about the church. Because of that, Paul blows the roof off of the Bible in the book of Galatians. The coming of Christ flipped every earthly defining characteristic for inclusion in the people of God on its head. And of course it did. Jesus brings a new creation into the old. It springs up right in the middle of it. Those who belong to Christ constitute a whole new humanity where the distinctions of the world don't hold any sway. By the way, that will be the crucial climax of the whole letter in Galatians 6, 16. Ethnicity did matter in the old creation. It means nothing in the new creation to try to hold some distinction in the people of God between Jew and Gentile is a smack in the face then of what Christ has done. This is part of what Christ has accomplished, this inclusion and purchase through His own blood. And apparently it has relevance, not just for theological reasons and how we understand the content in the Bible, but for how we view our standing and identity before God. Or why would Paul bring this matter up as his argument for being justified by faith and his argument against being justified by works? 
how we view our standing before God and what brings us to the table has massive implications for our ongoing hope and faith. Paul is trying to save the Galatians from falling from grace by teaching them there's no distinction now in the people of God. They're all one in Christ. By teaching them God's design in all of Scripture. That's so they don't fall away from grace. So apparently believing different things about who the people of God are and how we become the people of God and remain the people of God has everything to do with whether or not we are able to keep believing. This does not mean that the differences, for example, between male and female are eliminated. That we're, that, that it doesn't mean we're a blob. The, the, the body of Christ is made up of distinct parts, the inclusion into which has nothing to do with the distinctions of the old creation. Paul will instruct husbands and wives separately. He'll instruct males and females, slaves and masters, etc. All throughout his letters... What this means here, however, is that those distinctions are irrelevant for being included in the people of God in Christ Jesus. So it would be a fallacy to say in this body of Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but there are still technically two people of God in the world. That You understand the damage that can do to our thinking, to our faith, to our hope. So the opposite of that is the point here that Paul is trying to make. And that was the argument the Judaizers would have been making. You're technically not a part of the people of God yet. You're Christians, but you're not a part of the people of God. You see that? So you have to become like us. That's what it meant to be a Judaizer. You need to be circumcised. You need to pretend that you're ethnic like we are. Right? To be part of both people of God. Right? That's, that's what's going on here. Salvation for the world to gather in God's people from every nation is and always has been the real plan the overarching and ultimate one. Beloved, there are no parentheses in the new creation. There are no second-class citizens. There's no thinking, well, they're the real ones. No, no, no. Believer, you are the real one. And we are all one in Christ. Old divisions and attitudes of superiority have been obliterated. Right? And Paul also labors. This is a huge deal. He labors to make this clear in Romans that this is not a departure from or a change to God's original promise. This is the very fulfillment of it all if we would have read the Bible in sequence and understood the superiority of what God promised Abraham over what He promised national Israel in that covenant that came 430 years later. Notice how Paul's next verse implies that this is the climax right, of this chapter, the primary and intended implication of everything he's been arguing here. Look at verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are, Jew or Gentile, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There's one offspring, Christ. We partake by being in Him. If you're not in Him, you're not a part of the offspring. Done. That's what Jesus brings to bear on Scripture. Because Jesus is the singular offspring, and all who believe from every nation are in Him. Those who are in Christ are the true Israel, the offspring of Abraham. That's not what some call replacement theology. The Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches fulfillment theology. The sonship of Jesus Christ, the righteous and only begotten Son of the living God, is transferable along with all the rights and privileges therein to everyone who believes, male or female, slave or master, Jew or Gentile. They are all, we are all heirs according to what? Is there, is there a, being an heir according to ethnicity? Can you be an heir according to obedience and good works? No. All those in Christ, the one people of God, are heirs according to one thing. The promise God made to Abraham and his one offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Again, it's not that church equals Israel and Israel equals church. No, Christ is the key, right? We can't simply equate the church and Israel. The the biblical categorization is Israel equals Christ, the true and faithful Son of God, equals church. We are His body. Jesus is the true faithful Son of God that God called out of Egypt, right? Hosea 11.1, fulfilled in Matthew 2.15. We only receive the promise made to 
Abraham by being united to the only faithful Israelite that came from his line in history, the Lord Jesus Christ. God promised Abraham the world, not just a tiny piece of real estate in the Middle East. So do we see what Paul is doing in Galatians? He's giving them every reason to believe they truly belong to God because of Christ and they don't need to contribute anything from themselves in order to be secure and have full standing in Him, which is why he keeps going deeper into the layers of this to explain what the whole Bible teaches through Christ so that none of these struggling Galatians would believe anything but the biblical gospel that the Bible was preaching back to Abraham in Genesis, right? That's what he's... Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4. He says, I mean that the heir... So see, he's, he just keeps explaining the propositions he's giving. You see that? I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers like a slave would be, until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we, he's lumping us all together, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Again, amazingly, Paul is lumping together here the backgrounds of both Jewish and Gentile peoples. That's what Jesus does. You, you, you take Jesus, you think of him like a full-sized full-page size magnifying glass and you just lay them on top of every page of Scripture and you just start going, oh, oh, okay, okay. That's what Jesus does. That's what Paul is explaining. Paul wants to be sure that we know what we're under, right? That's what he's laboring for. That we know what rules us, what says who we are. And it's not the law covenant. It's not the law. The law was in place for a time while God's people, as He describes it here, were spiritual minors, right? M-I-N-O-R-S. But now that faith has come, verse 25 of chapter 3, that is, now that the time set by the Father for us to be free and mature sons has arrived, we are no longer under a guardian. So to push Christians to keep the law, any of it, as the means or the proof that they are right with God, to teach them as the Judaizers were doing, that in order to be accepted by God, you had to be circumcised like Jewish males were at that time, is to treat the actual people of God like babies who don't know how to stand on their own. That's the metaphor Paul is creating, which is not only harmful to their souls, in the same way that physically and mentally continuing to genuinely treat a full-grown adult like a baby, right? To, to like to continue to change diapers when you don't need to would be harmful to their physical bodies, harmful to their livelihood. It's to harm their souls to tell them that they have to keep the law. But it is also to proclaim when we do that that being under Christ by faith is not enough to be saved and that is Heresy of the worst kind. What kind of arrogance and immorality is it to say that Jesus is not enough to save or was never intended to be all that we need to be saved as the Bible so clearly teaches? When heirs are children, they are still heirs, but their lives are more like the lives of slaves. In the sense that, remember that, we withhold certain things from our children the younger they are, right? We, we, depending on their age or, or their maturity, we withhold certain things, certain privileges, certain rights, right? Why? Because we don't love them? No, because they're children. It's just a reality. You aren't loving, right? You, you aren't loving if you put a baby behind the wheel of a semi, you're a dodo bird who needs hit over the head with a tack hammer if that's what you do because the baby can't drive a semi, right? It's the date God set for us to become His free and mature sons came in Jesus Christ. It arrived, right? Look, look at verse 3 again. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The next week... 
As Paul goes on, we'll, we'll really dig into that phrase and another one that he uses here, the elementary principles of the world. We look more closely at the rest of chapter 4, but let's not miss what Paul is saying about how the Christian needs to view the law now that Christ has come. Apparently, our spiritual lives depend on it. All that came before Christ, those were the basics. Right? That was That was what you did because you were under guardians and managers. You weren't mature yet. You weren't fully grown yet. All that came before Christ is lumped in with this phrase, elementary principles of the world. Guardians, managers. Jesus is everything in creation. The righteousness of God was revealed in the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul is teaching us that how we view the law covenant will affect positively or negatively our view of Christ. And it's our view of Christ that will affect positively or negatively our faith and our hope. That's why we have the letter of Galatians. When Paul heard that this is what was going on, that you had this group coming and saying, you people need to live like Jews, you need to be circumcised like Jewish people are, you need to obey the law like Jewish people do. When he heard that, his hackles, he was furious and in a sense afraid for them, so he wrote this letter. It matters. It's not just, well, you know, you can see it that way if you want to. It's, no, 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 you can't see it that way. Right? Not according to Paul. I think so many of we, the way that we know we continue to see it this way is that Christians continue to live like slaves under fear. That's how we know we, we're, we're still in trouble. Remember what Rod Rosenblatt said, I quoted it a couple weeks ago. Paul has one point in this letter, and he goes after it six ways from Sunday. You just look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, the date set by the Father in verse 2, right? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, like every other human being, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, believers from every nation, might receive adoption as sons. Jesus the Son, by the way, has always existed. We see that here. He is eternal. God didn't create Jesus. God sent the Jesus that already was with him. And when did God send Jesus? When the fullness of time had come, when the date he set arrived. Right? See, God is the Lord of history. And what about this Jesus? He was born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that we, all those who believe, might receive adoption as sons. God made a promise to Abraham that through his seed he was going to bless the whole world. God set a date to keep that promise. And when the date arrived, God sent Jesus to be born into this world like all of us were, to be born under a system He had to obey in order to be able to keep God's promise to the world. He couldn't have failed. He couldn't have disobeyed. He couldn't have sinned. And in this sense, Jesus was enslaved, just like all of us were, to the demands, the righteous demand of God's holy and perfect law. Every human is. Jesus, however, is different. Because this seed of a woman kept every ounce of God's law and never sinned, thereby becoming the perfect sacrifice through which we could be forgiven and made perfectly righteous and acceptable to God. Jesus, the Son, purchased the right for rebels and sinners to also become bona fide children of God, to be grafted in by adoption to all those who were also of faith in Israel. That indescribable gift would have never been obtained by those under the curse of the law. That's what it means to be cursed. But God holds all the keys. And those whom the Son Jesus has set free, shall be free indeed. The whole design was so that God could adopt us and make us His sons. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So the in-time gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to us who believe because justification by faith fully adopts us into the family of God 
And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Spirit is doing the crying there. Notice that. The Spirit cries that out from within you and me, believer. God will not forget us. Deep is calling to deep from within these hearts in this world. Verse 7, So, so you, believer, are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Which he said in 3.29 is an heir through promise. They're the same thing. He's just making the same point over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit inspires repetition. Paul's point in this extended theological argument that started in 3.1 is to drive 4.7 into our hearts like a nail through wood. That's why he comes full circle here with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that he began to work through back in 3.2. Remember, These believers had been given the Holy Spirit, the same one that fell in Acts 2, the moment they believed on Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's true of every believer, and it's proof that the old era is over. Right? That's what being given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us is showing, that the new age is here, which means the old age is over, that we belong to Him. He's marked us like blood on a door. The angel of death will always pass by the children of God, beloved. The blood of Jesus is written on the door of our hearts and the Holy Spirit is the sign of it. The coming of the sea, Jesus the Messiah, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, He sent to show that a new age is here. A new creation has dawned. We are in the age of faith where... All who come believing to Jesus for forgiveness and righteousness are completely forgiven of their sins, are made completely righteous and therefore acceptable to God and become a literal and genuine part of His people. It is to pass, to become a Christian is to pass from slavery to sonship. Does your Christian life feel like that? Do you feel like a slave or a son? Why would we ever go back to being cursed slaves? No wonder Paul opened all this in 3.1 with you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. What kind of black magic spell are you under? Who convinced you that it would be better to be back under the law covenant? Right? Why go back to the age of Adam? Why go back to the age when the Spirit did not indwell every member of the covenant community, but only came on them for certain times and purposes? Why keep the babysitter? Right? Why leave the babysitter there when the parents are home? Why live under elementary principles of the world and guardians and managers? God has sent His Spirit. God has sent His Son to redeem us from that age, which is where Paul started in 1 verse 4. The new creation is here. 6.15. We'll see when we get there. Abba, that term, Abba, reflects the genuine and tangible reality of what has been accomplished through Christ and made real in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, this is a privilege that's indescribable in its scope and its beauty. Abba is the Aramaic term for father, it is a term of love and endearment, absolutely, but it's prob- we're probably doing it disservice when we say it means daddy. It, they're not one and the same. That's our Daddy is our word that we think of for father with intimacy, but it's not an apples to oranges translation. What this means is that all who believe can and should call God himself their very own and literal father. Right? You don't call him Mr., This is Father. That's the term Jesus used to refer to God because God was His Father. And now, we speak like Him. We are given the rights and privileges of Jesus. Christ has redeemed us. And we're not just sons, right? We are also heirs. Heirs with Him. God didn't have to do that. Right? it's, it's a beautiful thing just to be brought into the house, but to be made an heir along with Jesus. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
Christians are some of the most terrified people in the world. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of the world. We're afraid of the culture. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of not being good enough. We're afraid of not actually being accepted by God. We're afraid of not actually being saved. But ask a Christian like what this little prophecy means and all oh, it means this and this is going to happen and this is going to, uh, do you feel confident in your faith? Well, you know, I try. What is going on? Like, what is going on? We're slave, we're afraid. We live like slaves. Like we're under this gun and a man, if you don't get it right, if you're not good enough, right, you should have believed right there. You should have had more faith right there. I, I, beloved, don't, no, don't, no, 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 don't be afraid. And you're not a slave. You remember what's, what's, but, but I'm, I, and I know, look, I'm not denying the reality of our ongoing struggle with sin. I'm not talking about that silly, like, name it, claim it, I'm victorious. No, 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 no. We're in Christ. That's the beautiful thing here. Remember, when God looks at me, he sees Christ. That's never going to be taken away. And Paul, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's not what God gave you. When you feel like that, that's not coming from God. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Proper noun, spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Paul talks about one thing all the time. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We love that. God loves you just as you are. God loves you just as Jesus is. That's better. Right? That's better. Jesus died for what I am. And now I'm loved for what He is. It's, it's amazing. How can it be? That great hymn by Charles Wesley. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Once we were slaves, we were conceived in chains, beloved. Conceived in chains. Born of women born under a curse, born under the law, without God, without hope in this world. Orphans. And to this day, some of us are still orphans. Some of us probably even in this room won't come home where grace will not only forgive us and make us clean and righteous, but embrace us and give us a seat at the table. Some of us, and so many in our, in our little town, refuse to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And to this day, some of us who are not orphans anymore still live like we are. Enslaved to fear because we think we're still enslaved to the law and responsible in ourselves to earn God's forgiveness and favor. The problems there are not just theologically inaccurate. They're tragic. They, they are both a refusal to believe in who God is as He has revealed Himself to be. He talks to us throughout the New Testament by His Holy Spirit with such love and tender care and mercy and patience and service. Do you, when Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, how do Christians define themselves? By service. Why? This, Jesus didn't come for you to give Him stuff. He came to give you stuff. And not worldly stuff. It all fades away. Eternal stuff like life and hope and peace and reconciliation with His Father. What am I saying to you if you're an orphan and I tell you I want to adopt you? 
What if that's the word I use? What all am I saying to you? Think about the words the Holy Spirit uses. I am saying, if I, I want to adopt you. What I want you to be a part of my family. I want to rescue you from all the pain of not having a family to call your own. I want to bring you in. I want to pay for your provision. I want to foot the bill for you from here on out. I want to take on the responsibility of caring for you. I want to make you mine. I want to be your father. Right? Few things, by the way, do proclaim the gospel without using words like adoption does. J.I. Packer calls adoption the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Justification is a legal term, right? And it's true, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful. Praise God. God didn't have to go that extra step and say, He didn't have to go the first step, but He certainly didn't have to go the extra step and describe what He's doing for us as adoption. That carries with it way more than legal connotations. Judges do not have to become the parents of those they acquit. He didn't just wipe the sin away. He made you righteous and gave you a seat at his table. Do we understand this? Christian, in the lowest points and depths of your life, there... That's the you Jesus died for. And that's the you that has a seat at the table of God forever. That's who Jesus Christ is. That's the power and sufficiency of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That's why we don't want to stay in those places. God, the only righteous and holy judge, acquitted sinners for the very purpose of adopting uh, adopting them. So God's holy mind is not just forensic. He's not like I, I, I we it's it's I need to even the books. No, no, no. He's he's not an accountant. He's a father. He's a father. And if 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 you and I fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does he know how to send us this spirit? What does the Spirit do? Guarantees my place at the table. Seals me as His own. Right? I I know how to do decent things for my kids. I try, right? Dads, we try. And sometimes we do really good. But what are we doing there? We're not doing it because I have this obligation to be uh, occasionally kind to my children. That's not what we're doing. We love them. That's why we're buying them way too many things at Christmas time before they can even read or see colors. The, the day that my daughter Isabella came home from the hospital when she was born, I went to Target and bought her every Muppet Baby stuffed animal they had. She can't even see primary colors yet. And I, I bunched them all around her, around her head and her face, and I'm taking, and Christy comes in, don't put unwashed things by the baby's face! I don't know, I was trying. I was trying, right? You, you, you try. God gives the Spirit to seal you to say over you, no matter what touches you, mine. I adopted you. That's His term. That's His term. Those of you who don't believe in Jesus Christ this morning, why? Why won't you come to Him? Why won't you come to Him? He he, He will receive you now. You don't have to wait for the invitation. Call out to Him now. He will save. He will always save. He will save in the church. He will save in the gutter. Just call out to Him. Call out to Him. Those of you who do believe, why do you think God would make you His son and then treat you like a slave? Jesus obeyed the law for you. It's done. Adoption is God's word for what He's done for those who believe. Maybe you came in here this morning 
just far from God, not believing in Him, belonging to the world and everything that enslaves you. Do you know you could be adopted this morning by the Creator of the universe? Like you could walk out of here a bona fide Son of God? Let Him define you from here on out? Believer, did you realize right now that's who you are? I don't care what kind of week you've had. I don't care what kind of month you've had or what kind of year you've had or what kind of life you've had trying your best to serve God. And I don't want to demean serving God. That's not the point. The point is, if you define your relationship with Him by your contributions, you will never have the peace that Christ paid for you to have. That's why we get so mad at each other in church because we're all trying to earn our way and we're all upset. Right? Service is how we're identifying ourselves as the people of God. So not only are we frustrated with ourselves, we get frustrated with each other because they're not pulling their weight. You see how the gospel remains the key to peace in the church? Adoption conveys closeness, affection, generosity. We're loved and cared for by God, our Father. We've been transferred out of Adam's family into God's family. And in this house, Jesus is our older brother. Let somebody pick on us now. It is Jesus who stands between us and the curse of this world and the law. It's Jesus who stands in between us. It's Jesus that we wear We're no longer slaves. We're no longer children of wrath. We're no longer sons of disobedience. We're sons of God. And the proof of that is not something we do. It's the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit that's given to every single person who believes in Christ for salvation. We're born again in a new house. We're born from above into a new family. God wanted to adopt sinners into His family by means of a promise, of His promise so that their salvation would be secure, their souls would be safe and cared for forever, and so His glory ultimately would be magnified. He makes us heirs and He does it all by His gracious, unilateral, initiating promise. The goal of God's promises is to show the people He is saving how much He loves them. So there's literally no good reason for you to refuse to come to Jesus Christ. And there is literally no good reason after having come to Him to doubt your full acceptance and His steadfast eternal love for you. Let us all come to Jesus this morning. Let's pray and I'll be down front if you need to come and pray. If you'd like to join our church and be a part of us, let's pray. Father, I thank You for your word I thank you that the promise keeper in this galaxy is you and so Father I pray that you would enable us to believe enable us all to believe in Jesus Christ to understand what it means to be adopted and all the weight that that word carries setting us free. I ask and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
thank you so much for being here this morning, everybody. I do want to invite you, if you're able, uh, we'll just start a, a short, just a two-part series tonight and next Sunday night from James. Uh, my family and I will be gone for a couple Sundays after that, and so I'm going to, we'll start Genesis after I get back. But uh, you're all welcome to come. If you're a part of our church, I'd really encourage you, if you can, if you can, I'd encourage you to come for these, these little sermons through James, okay? Let me pray and we'll be dismissed, all right? Father, I thank you so much for your word, your son Jesus Christ, spoken to us in him. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you would enable everyone in this room now over this next week, these next days, no matter where they go, no matter what they do, no matter where they end up, to look to you and believe and be held and kept by you and guided by you, by your spirit into all the things that will bring hope and peace for them in Christ. And this we ask and pray in the very name of Jesus. Amen. And you're dismissed.